Shut up and sit down. The real problem is not whether machines think, but whether men do. It went up. It went up to the cloud. And you can't get it down from the cloud? Nobody understands the cloud. It's a mystery. Master the tools and technology that will change the way we do just about everything. Welcome to UpGuard Radio. Hey there, welcome to UpGuard Radio. You may recognize the name of today's guest, as he's often tapped for his expertise when big data breaches hit the headlines. He was also our guest on last year's Halloween episode, so be sure to listen to that. At any rate, I had a great conversation with Troy Hunt, creator of HaveIBeenPawn.com, about the security of connected cars and the dangers and rewards of digitization. So, check it out. Hello. Hey, Troy, how are you? Good, mate. How are you doing? Not too bad. It's uh, been a long time, my friend. How long ago now? Oh, man. It must oh, definitely over half a year. Yeah, I think it was sometime last year. Troy Hunt is a information security researcher, um, an expert in all things security-related, and runs the website HaveIBeenPawn.com, an online resource that allows you to uh, find out if your email has been compromised. Now, I think we are talk- talking about it last time, but I actually found out that my Gmail had indeed been uh, part of the, uh, I guess, the Adobe data breach. How's 2016 been treating you so far? I think you were in the middle of moving last time, right? And we talked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I moved and I'm, I'm enormously happy at where I've moved from. I, um, I go between the office and the pool. sounds like a tough life look it's it's working hard and playing hard because i just spent a month in europe as well dead of cold winter uh and i i just did a a ridiculous number of things back to back for a month so Mm -hmm. you know i I do that and i come home and i I wouldn't say i have a break but i get get to be somewhere nice and i do do all my things from here and then i've got a, a couple of other europe trips coming up and various other bits there there seems to be less press around data breaches and kind of high profile um incidents happening over there in, in europe um is that the case or what it seems no, it's like just yeah. you um <laughs> i don't think that's the case i'll give you okay. a really good example one that was very high profile recently that got a lot of press uh was talk talk oh right okay UK. yeah i remember them yeah uh so that was a massive story uh first of all because it was just very public it was it was very much in the news talk talk is a big uk telco and uh, it, it was interesting, actually, when some of the earlier presses, a detective that comes out and he says, um, so we believe that the perpetrators were uh, Russian Islamic cyber jihadis. And, and that is just a horrifying picture. Yeah. Right? I mean, that is, that is the scariest term you could come up with, Russian Islamic cyber jihadis. And uh, it, it, it's like it, it ticks every one of those kind of uh, deep, fearful things that we all hold. Um, no offense to, to the Russian listeners as well, but there yeah. is, there's yeah. just something about cyber security where that seems to be more a villain sort of persona. But the, the curious thing about it was that the reality turned out to be a 15-year-old kid. Yeah. So there's a 15-year-old kid in Ireland and then there was like another 16-year-old kid and yeah, they're, they're all just kids and they impacted all of this damage and yet the, the press still somehow managed to spin it into something very scary. There's a, there's a rising swell of class action lawsuits kind of building up momentum. Um, yeah, there is. Um, and it's, it's interesting too because sometimes I look at these class actions and I say, well, why? I mean, a really good example is uh, VTech. So VTech right. got hacked, uh, and the, the data was sent to a reporter from the guy who hacked it. The reporter mm-hmm. sent it to me, and to the best of our knowledge, there's three people in the world that have it. Uh, it's it's never been socialised outside of that. Yet there are class actions, and I, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think from the perspective of the parents, who I understand being upset. Like I would not be happy at all if my kids were exposed in a data breach at, at ages three and six, which is right what many of them were 
However, I could not demonstrate any possible loss or, or even any emotional distress of any significance, yet we're seeing multiple lawsuits pop up uh, in relation to that. And as much as I'd love to see uh, governments and consumer protection groups throw the book at VTech, I, I just cannot fathom how individuals justify uh, mounting these class actions. Well, right. I can actually. It's lawyers, right? But it, it really doesn't make much sense to me. You're speaking about the initial journalist who uh, was working on that. This was for Vice magazine, right? That's right, yeah. Reading that story, I was kind of felt like I, this must have feel like you're kind of like out of an espionage movie. Like. It's, uh, it, it's always odd because, first of all, a lot of these things pop up and they never eventuate to anything or uh, there's lots of rumors and the data never shows up. Or it's just another data breach. I mean, the, the other day I loaded five different data breaches in, into my system, all hundreds of thousands of records, because there's just so much stuff floating around. Yeah. But um, when the penny sort of drops and you realise that it's, it's A, it's one that, that has not been previously known, and, and this was the case. No one uh, else was aware of it. Uh, B, it's, it's many millions of records, and, and C, it's impacting children. Then you go, oh boy, right, yeah. this is, yeah. this is uh, actually pretty serious. I'm sure it hits home when you know when the safety of their children is, is involved, um, as opposed to like okay, credit card I can replace that, you know, credit card. Yeah, money, yeah. I wanted to ask you about the VTech breach, but the first and recent thing that that kind of popped into mind was uh, these vulnerabilities, I guess, involving uh, Nissan Leafs. Can you tell us more about that? This was really interesting for for a number of reasons. So um, w one of the the first things that was interesting is is the way this was discovered. I was in Norway running a workshop. I, I do this two day workshop where I, I take people through all these security vulnerabilities. And one of the things that we look at is how to intercept traffic from your uh, mobile device uh, as it transits through to whatever API backend there is. And we, we sort of do this exercise for about an hour and then we move on to other things. We do eight different things each day. But this guy in the workshop, this Norwegian guy, uh, thought, well, this is actually kind of interesting. And he went back to his hotel room afterwards and he fired up his uh, Nissan Leaf app and proxied it through his mobile phone and went, well, look at this. Like when it authenticates, I'm doing air quotes here, when it authenticates me <laughs> to my vehicle, all it's doing is it's passing the VIN number, right? So that the VIN is the, the vehicle identification number, it's a chassis number. It is uh, not a secret. It is not an API key. And part of the reason it's not an API key is because it's printed in your windscreen. Right. So you can literally <laughs> walk past any car and, oh, there's the VIN number. Yeah. It also conforms to an innumerable pattern. So you can just keep guessing VINs, and as a result, you could pull back data, right? And get right. all sorts of information back from the uh, back from the source, which was which was kind of crazy. Uh, so he found that he could pull all of this battery status data, and then he found that he could also control features of the vehicle, namely the air conditioning. So he could turn it on and off, and all this sort of thing, and that. The, and, and as a result, he, he, could, uh, he could pull the battery status of other vehicles. He, 99.9% .9 for sure, could also uh, manage the climate control of other vehicles, but we didn't do that because now you're messing with someone else's car, which just isn't cool. And, and that was sort of one of the interesting things with this. It's a very multifaceted <laughs> exercise. One of the interesting things was being able to do that. Uh, the other interesting thing was the fact that it took someone one hour in a workshop mm -hmm. to figure out how to do this. Like that is how low hanging the vulnerability was. The, the other interesting thing, of course, is it's cars. And this is no longer just um, here's an API with a little, uh, you know, sitting behind a little website or a little mobile app. It's controlling a freaking car. Right, right. <laughs> kind of serious business. And the, the other curious thing, again, was, was how Nissan handled it. 
Uh, and initially it was very good. I got hold of people very quickly. They, they took it seriously in talking to them. And then not so much. Uh, nothing <laughs> happened for huh. a month. I, I did actually have a follow-up phone call with them. I gave them heaps of info. They just weren't taking it seriously. And eventually when I got to the point uh, where I was like, all right, this is getting exasperating, someone actually emailed me out of the blue, someone completely different, and said, hey, you're never going to believe what I found <laughs> with this Ness and Leaf. And they actually pointed to online discussion about how people were circumventing the app and hitting the API directly because the app sucked. So I eventually went back to Nissan and said, look, I'm going to write about this. Uh, if you've got any comments that you'd like to make, you know, drop them in. And they, they said, oh, can you, you know, can you please wait another few weeks? It's like, no, look, that's just... And of course, as soon as it went out, they pulled the service. They pulled the service within about 24 hours, mm -hmm. which, which goes to show that they knew it was the wrong thing. And evidently, they got a lot of pressure, a lot of social pressure too. But they knew it was the wrong thing, yet they kept running it for a month, knowing that it was the wrong thing. That must be an interesting position also to be in as a security researcher and security professional. I can imagine being in, in certain positions where you uh, you're kind of uh, kind of fighting for the right of the you know the right to know. Um, a lot of these products they have vulnerabilities. Um, all products do. Some vendors are definitely more willing to um, mm. address them initially, and others tend to wait till there's like an incident. Look, you're, you're right in that all companies respond quite differently. And um, it, it honestly, it, it leaves me in some really sticky positions in terms of uh, what do I do? Yeah, in a case like Nissan, I know that there is a vulnerability which, which has the potential to invade privacy because you could pull back things like um, what time of day you were driving, how far you were driving, as well as obviously control the vehicle itself. But that, that is serious. That needs action. Right. And I knew that people that actually owned the vehicle would be quite upset if if they realised that that vulnerability was there, and they'd be extra upset if they realised Nissan was doing nothing about it. So it's it's kind of like, look, they, these people, you know, they, they have a right to know. I think it's in in the best interest. I don't want to uh, upset a, a major international company either. I don't want to upset any company, but particularly with Nissan. And and I have a Nissan as well, not a Nissan Leaf, but you know, I've got a, a different. <laughs> Uh, non-connected Nissan, yeah. <laughs> which which I love, and I'm invested in the brand, so I was kind of a little bit torn there as well. But I, I just often find myself in this situation. I mean, I could understand also from a vendor's perspective where they're working on a particular you know issue, and you know they're they're close to you know, closing the gap, and they just want to not put anything out there that might uh, allow attackers to to get ahead of the game. How do you measure that? What's your barometer in terms of like, okay, well, you know, this is something I need to put out there because uh, it's important. Well, I guess that the first thing is it's certainly not an exact science, right? Yeah. So there's, I would love to just have a flow chart I go through every time and I go, okay, well, this means disclosure. Um, I, I wrote something on, on the ethics of, of public disclosure a little while ago and, mm -hmm. and some of the things that, that I think about are, uh, as a result of disclosure, uh, are the customers of the service going to be more, going to be disadvantaged or, or are they going to uh, appreciate the notification. So, you know, in a case like Nissan, is this going to put people at greater risk? And the reality of it is I knew that once it was, was public, Nissan had pulled the service. So it would happen very quickly because they get social shaming. And on, on the flip side, I, I sort of say, look, w you know, would people want to know about this? Well, yeah, you would want to know if, yeah. if, if someone is able to track your journeys. Sure. So from the, from the individual perspective, that kind of ticked that box. And then from the other side, well, what will this mean for the organisation? Will this cause them any great harm? Because we do see... There's an interesting thing, actually, that happens with data breaches and publicly listed companies. Hey, Leon, I've got to answer the door. Go for it. 
Sorry about that, mate. No problem. Where were we? <laughs> uh, I think we were talking about Nissan Leafs. Yeah, so we're talking about then um, one of the interesting things that, that tends to happen when uh, publicly listed companies get a breach is their share price can dip. Mm-hmm. So they can take a hit. So I've really got to think about, am I doing something which might disadvantage people in other ways? Are we going to start seeing more um, scary things and then kind of have to backtrack and kind of rethink whether or not we want some of these things uh, hooked up? Or is security going to get better around connected devices? Look, it'll certainly continue to be a bigger problem in more things because we have more things that are connected. Only a few years ago, we wouldn't have had the connected car. We've seen vulnerabilities in, how's this for a good range of things? The connected doorbell, the connected kettle, the connected light glow, the connected toilet. All of these things have had serious security vulnerabilities in them. And they just simply didn't exist a few years ago because we weren't connecting these things. It's it's a combination of the ease of standing up APIs, the cheap cost of connecting things, and the increasing desire to have control over everything from anywhere. Uh, plus, of course, the market advantage that all these companies want to get by saying, hey, this is this awesome connected thing that you can manage. We're going to see a lot more of this. Yeah, there's just no two ways about it. That's such a horrible uh, image in my mind, the compromised connected toilet. Like, you know, like- <laughs> you know the, the worst thing is the uh, security advisory Trustwave put out about it said that uh, the, the, the risk is that attackers uh, could control f- certain features such as the bidet function whilst oh. you are using the toilet. Imagine that. There's an image for you. Oh, man, that's just awesome. I did this talk once where I showed this and someone said, yeah, that's called a backdoor attack. <laughs> what's uh, what, what's new in 2016 in terms of uh, data breaches? Any rising threats this year or trends that are kind of emerging that we didn't uh, we haven't seen before? Yeah, yeah good question. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that always happens with data breaches is that there are always just troves and troves of these little ones that, that barely even make the news. So I mentioned before I'd loaded five in one day recently. Right. There are so many, particularly uh, PHP-based cheap or free forums, uh, so vBulletin, IP Bulletin, or IP Board, sorry. These sort of class of, um, of application are very readily available. They're very easily stood up by people that have got no idea what they're doing. And they've also had lots of vulnerabilities like SQL injection before. It's very easy just to dump on YouTube and search for vBulletin SQL injection. And you will find risks that are still present in many of the versions out there because part of the the, the fact that they're being managed by people that, that are not necessarily professional uh, IT people or developers is that the things never get maintained. They never get updated. So there are, there are known vulnerabilities that appear and then they don't get patched. And we've even seen this with uh, antivirus companies. Uh, so somewhere, uh, or in some cases, I mean, I loaded one the other day from Malwarebytes from mm-hmm. 2014. I mean, they're an AV company. They know what they're doing. But somebody stood up a forum on, I think it was on IP board, it was certainly one of the PHP ones, and now, you know, hundreds of thousands of records out there. And that's... That just continually happens in the background, and we see but a small percentage of those actually hit the news uh, or, or even hit the public airwaves. So it's uh, there's a lot of this going on in the background. And certainly small businesses, they definitely don't have their own IT departments, and their you know, their grassroots efforts, unfortunately, involve using a lot of these, these software packages. Sometimes they're not even maintained anymore. They do, and yeah. and uh, a lot of these a lot of these forums as well are not even from professional organisations. They're from people running gaming sites, their hobby mm-hmm. sites, or things like that. And on the one hand, you might go, okay, well, you know, that's not particularly important, but 
they all tend to collect your birth date. They all ask for a password and people tend to tell the truth with their birth date and then they tend to reuse their passwords. So this this little gaming site that someone stood up and somehow managed to amass hundreds of thousands of subscribers uh, then gets breached and leaks information which leads to the compromise of other accounts. And I had a, I can't say who it was, but I had a discussion with someone oh. literally just yesterday who said um, someone that we'd been mutually talking to in, in this data breach trading community uh, had hacked into this guy's uh, PayPal and his Skype because he managed to pull credentials from one of his, the other data breaches that this guy had reused. And I, I was kind of like, on, on the one hand, I wanted to, to, to say, well, serves you right. <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> reusing your credentials? And on the other hand, I'm like, oh, man, well, that is, that is, that's, that's nasty. It's so easy, but it's nasty. The sophistication of attackers keeps increasing, but people's intelligence doesn't seem to uh, be getting any better in terms of even just basic uh, security habits. Is it just going to be pure misery for the next couple of years, or is, is it going to be kind of like a, a renaissance of some sort where people either you know, start rejecting technologies, stop digitizing their assets? Like, is there going to be like a backlash, or are people going to get smarter about technology? And Look, let's be clear about this sophistication comment as well, because in examples like that one just there, that the level of sophistication was that someone who could well just be a kid as well downloaded a data breach that was publicly trading, uh, being publicly traded, took the password out of the data breach and checked to see if it worked on PayPal. And, and that is all. Like that is that does not a sophisticated hacker make, right? True, <laughs> so true, It's very, very simple. In, in terms of the later questions about are we going to move away from technology, I, I just can't see that happening in any way. I mean, it's, it's becoming more and more ingrained in more things. And I, I think that... Uh, our greatest hope is to become smarter about how we use it. So for one, smarter as consumers. We as consumers have, have got to recognise that these risks exist. And it, it, it blows me away when I see these cases. There's been a couple recently of things like um, teachers having been fired because students have stolen nude pictures off their phone, off the teacher's phone. And, and that blows me away at several levels. First of all, why they got fired when they're the victim is, is not, right. not immediately clear to me. Um, second of all, just, just the sort of lack of basic etiquette from, from people going through other people's things. But, but thirdly as well, this, I guess not having sufficient awareness that it is a serious risk these days when you digitise something. Right. And I, I wrote about this recently because I, I tweeted something along those lines and, and people said, well, you're victim blaming. You know, you're, you're blaming the person taking the photo. And, it, it, you know, it's not that at all. Everyone should have complete freedom to do that. And certainly they, they are the victim of, of this crime in, in multiple ways, not just the shaming, but when these, these folks get fired from their jobs as well. I, I guess that the point here is that we've got to be aware that more so than ever, when we digitise things, they spread very, very broadly. I mean, seconds after me taking a photo on my iPhone, it's on iCloud. Right, it's already up there. And I also know seconds after taking it, it will be shown on my Apple TV because it has a screensaver on it. If I take a photo of the wrong thing, it could be my kids walk into the room and, oh, hey, look what daddy's doing on the TV. <laughs> you know, like that, is, that is how easy this stuff spreads. And uh, here's a really good question for anyone listening. Have a think about everything that you have digitized since forever. You know, Go back a decade, 15, even 20 years. Think about the things that you might have written, recorded, put somewhere... And what would it mean if those were disclosed publicly? And for all of us, even though there may be things that we, we may not necessarily think we have things to hide, but there are many things that we would not want to share. And when we 
when we digitize them, we start to take that risk more so than if we didn't. You know, the scary thing about data is that you, you can correlate, right? So, I mean, I wouldn't mind someone um, knowing that I went to a certain bar, but probably wouldn't want people knowing that I went there like, you know, three times a week you know, in 2015. Yeah. <laughs> we're uh, we're kind of lucky. I mean, was, uh, I'm going to speculate without knowing exactly how old you are. You, you, you probably got to go through those younger, more impressionable teenage years without camera phones uh, or, or, or Twitter or Facebook. And I, you know, yeah. I, I managed to, to get to adulthood by the time the internet hit. And I, I can just imagine that had I not, uh, there would probably be a whole bunch of things out there sure. in my history, yeah. which, which would be more, a bit more worrying. But <laughs> by the same token, that, that's probably also now going to become a social norm because everybody is going through that phase of their life where everything is getting digitized. And Really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, chat with us again on this podcast. Yeah, no worries. It's my pleasure. Cool. Talk to you soon. Good on you, mate. All See right. ya. All right. Talk to you later. That was UpGuard Radio. Special thanks to our guest, Troy Hunt, for joining us. For more about DevOps, security, and digital resilience, yeah, what's that? Digital resilience? Well, find out at UpGuard.com. Talk to you next time.